encourage you to make that a priority, as Donnelly said earlier. Well, we're in a series called How to Live Your Worst Life. Sorry, would you like to correct me? How to Live Your Best Life. It's possible to live your best life, and the best life is a loving life. That's the best life, and that's kind of what we've been looking at. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture we've been working out of, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter. The love chapter. Um, come on, let's read it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, that'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Would that be good? I'm glad you think so. If I could have faith that can move mountains, how many think that'd be good? <laughs> Am I in the right church this morning? It's okay to, okay, these, Paul's not anti-gift. You've got to hear this this morning. Paul is not anti-gift. Paul, is, this is in between chapter 12 and 14, and it's all about the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God and the miracles and everything that will happen. Who, who knows that's true? This is not anti-gift, but Paul's saying in the middle of this, if I have all of these things going on and I have not love, I'm a nothing. It's worthless. In fact, it's no, it's no indication of what your heart is. It says, and if I possess, give all I possess to the poor, that'd be a good thing to do. Wow. And even die for this cause. Surrender my body to the flames, but have not love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. Not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrong. Yeah, I can work on those. You know, just, oh, it's a bit of a steep hill. This love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always, sometimes protects, sometimes trusts. Who wrote this? It always protects. Man, this is getting hard now. It always trusts. How many know that's really hard right there? It always hopes and always perseveres. Oh, my goodness. Love never fails. Newsflash. No, love never fails. Now, we've looked at this for the past few weeks. We're not going to go back over it. But uh, I would really encourage you, if you're new, uh, please go back and have a listen. You can listen on the podcast uh, or you can get onto it through the YouTube. But just to get an understanding of the church in Corinth and why Paul is writing this. And this, was, this is not kind of like some oh, romantic kind of thing. This was a bombshell to the people of Corinth. And uh, so... You know, the, the, the message out of this is that you can do all these mighty things, but if you haven't got love, it's nothing at all. It's nothing at all. Let me read you a quote from a man by the name of David Koresh. You don't know who David Koresh was? Okay, bad dude, all right? Cult leader, just making it clear that he's not good dude, bad dude. Leader of a cult, and um, they all died. The whole lot of them died tragically uh, in Waco. Remember that? 1993. Who remembers that? Right, the Davidian cult, and they, they die. And his, listen to what he says. In line of, you know, if I've got all these powerful things happening, but you haven't got love, you're nothing. Listen to what he says. He says, are you really a Christian? The apostles of old used to heal the sick and raise the dead. They were spirit-filled men. What about you? 
Do you do these things? Do you do these things today? How can these stupid churches talk about the Spirit when they don't even do what the apostles did 2,000 years ago? So they sin against the Holy Spirit. They commit the unpardonable sin because they claim to be led by the Spirit, but they're led by the devil. Wow. Basically, what's he saying here? He's saying, how do you know that you're a Christian? He says, how do you know that you've got the Spirit of God? His answer is, well, if you're truly a Christian and if you truly have the Spirit of God, you can heal the sick and you can raise the dead. That's what he's saying. Paul is actually saying the exact opposite. And he's saying to the Corinthians, you can do miracles, you can move mountains, you can prophesy, but if you don't have love, it's possible to have all that and not actually have God at all. It's what Paul is saying, and that's the bombshell. And the fatal mistake, and it's the mistake that David Koresh made, is that power is more important than love. And it's not. It's not anti-power. Remember, as I said, this is not about, you know, we're thankful that God's a God of power, right? But listen to me this morning. He's got power that's motivated by love. So last week we talked about that we can't give away what we haven't got. You've got to first receive love, and love isn't a thing, love is a person. And his name is Jesus. Grace. We've got to receive the grace of God. And I talked about how do you, re- how do you receive the love of God? You receive the love of God by receiving the grace of God, which is about receiving Jesus. And... Uh, You know, we we receive the love of God by no longer attempting to justify ourselves, but instead receiving Jesus and believing that He has made us acceptable to God. We don't have to justify ourselves because we've been justified by Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not going to go over that, listen to it on the podcast. Today, I want to look at how then, okay, we've received the love of God. How then do we give that kind of love? How do we become a person, a loving person? Now, Paul doesn't get us into the loving mode by giving us a checklist. He doesn't say, now this is how you become more loving. You should be patient. You should be kind. You should be gentle. Instead, he shows them what love is. He confronts them with with love. And you can see that in the way he's the way he's writing. He holds it up and he says, this is what love is. Love is. This is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is. Who can see that? And so Paul is not saying this is what you must do. Instead, he's saying, hey, look at love. Let me show you. And run into it, collide with it, and encounter love. That's what Paul is saying. And it's only then when you encounter love that you will become more loving. So how do we become more loving? Well, number one, and we've sort of already partway there, you've got to see love. You've got to see it. And Paul personifies it in verse 7. In verse 7 he says, we've already read it, but let me read it to you again. It says, love, and obviously he's not, he's talking about Jesus here because he says, love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And there's only one who's ever done that, 
and his name is Jesus. We only have to look at Jesus on the cross. Let me take you back there for a moment of where we were last week, and we see that love persevered. Jesus persevered. He even went through the cross. Love endured all things. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Love endured all things, and that's Jesus. Love hoped all things. Love never gave up hope. And and we heard it this morning in Hebrews, that for whom for the hope set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was that hope? It was you and I that we would love him. And he still has that hope today. He still has that hope. And he has hope for people who don't even know his name yet. He has that hope. And so he, he had that. He always hoped. And, he, and listen, here's an amazing one. He always trusted. I mean, listen to Jesus on the cross. Is there doubt? Is there, is there a sense of despair in his voice where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who can hear a question in that? And yet he says, Father, now there's a word of trust. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted. So Paul is talking about Jesus. He's personifying love. In fact, then it culminates with this. Love never fails. Never fails. So you've got to see that. So firstly, you've got to see love. And we see it in Jesus. We see it personified in Him. So what next? Well, you've got to see it, and then you've got to let that love, listen to me carefully. This, can I just say right up front, this is, this is probably one of the hardest messages I personally feel like I've ever preached. Because it's so jolly confronting. Because we have to let that love of Jesus then confront us. One of my preaching mentors, a man by the name of Tim Keller, he says it this way. He says, let that love judge you. Be judged by that kind of love. Now you go, okay, you're okay. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, you know, love is, doesn't envy. Oh, I can work on that. But when it gets to love always hopes, love always protects, love always perseveres, love always trusts, and for goodness sake, love never fails, That confronts me because I don't know about you, but I I have seen what I thought was love fail many times. I have seen what I was told was love. We, We love each other. I have seen what I was told was love fail many times. And in my own life, I have seen what I thought was my love. I have seen it fail and come up short many times. Do I have any friends out there? Do I have anyone else out there? So either, this isn't true, love never fails. Well, it does. I've seen it fail so many times. So either, this isn't true, and Paul is writing something that's simply not true, or what I thought was love isn't the love being talked about here. You see, that scripture says love never fails. Never. I looked it up in the original. Do you know what never means? It means never. I know, astounding. Let me expand a little bit. It says, not even at any time. Love, not even at any time, fails. Fails means be driven out, to take no effect, to fall away like petals off a dying flower. Love never fails. 
So let's look at the first word, which is love never fails. And if you look at the meaning of that word love, okay, I said love is not a thing, love is a person. But the meaning of that word love is exemplified and personified in that person, Jesus. You see, we have one word in our language. For some of you, this is old news. Well, just enjoy listening to it again. Um, if this is not, this, this will explain it to you. We have three, we, so we use one word in our language for love, and it covers a whole range of things. In one breath, we can say, I love my wife, I love my kids, and I love my dog, and I love my car. I love my job, I love my house, I love my pet chook. We, we use love for a broad range of things, right? And it covers a whole lot of dimensions. I love that. Well, in the Greek language, they have three. Well, they actually have four, but let's, there's three main ones. And they are these three words, eros, filio, and agape. Eros. Many of you would have heard that word before. It's where we get the word erotic from. And it means romantic love. It's sexual love. It's, phys- it's, it's, it's intimate love in that in a physical sense, eros. Now, let me ask you the question. In our culture, when you hear about love, what is the word that most often would exemplify love that we hear about in our culture? Eros. You can say it. You're allowed to say it in church. Eros. You're not going to get struck down by lightning. All right? God created this stuff. All right, so it's all good. God created us with one of the proofs of his love is he created, created us with the ability to experience pleasure. That's a proof of God's love. So it's okay to say. Everyone say eros. All right, okay, good. Feel, feel better now? Okay. Everyone getting a bit hot under the collar? Let me move on. Here's the thing. You see, if you see a movie and someone says there's a bit of, you know, romantic love, you know, eros, pretty well straight, so I love you, and the next minute there's a bedroom scene, Right? That's a thing that you see, and that's the, the most highlighted thing in our culture when it comes to love. Eros. Question, does Eros fail? Yes, it does. Eros fails. So Eros needs more than just Eros. Eros is great. Eros is wonderful. Eros is God's creation. But Eros on its own fails. What's next? Filio. Filio means friendship. We can put that up. Put the next slide up so we can see them down the side. It means friendship. Friendship. Now, I'm glad that my wife, Nikki, is my best friend. And she was my friend before she was my lover. And that's important. But let me tell you, every morning when I wake up, or when she wakes up, we don't always wake up best of friends. You know what I'm talking about. It. Nervous laughter. Jabs in the ribs. Just because we're friends and we love each other as friends, can I just say sometimes filio fails. Who's ever seen filio fail? Right. So eros fails, filio fails. And that's why we get so confused when we say love never fails. Because the word love that's being used here is not eros never fails or filio never fails. The word is agape. It's a God kind of love and it means unconditional. Now this will stretch your 
heart and confront you this morning, but I want to explore this a little bit because it means unconditional and sacrificial. And that's what Paul is confronting us with when he says love never fails is because it's unconditional. In other words, let me put it this way. My love for you, my agape love for you isn't dependent upon what you bring me. If you love that person because of what they bring you, it's not agape love. It's not God love. And it's not real love. It's not the foundation for friendship and eros. Are you hearing me this morning? And that takes love out of something that's like, oh, it feels so good, into something that's gutsy and strong and sacrificial. Let me give you an example, maybe help see this. It's a young couple, young married couple, and the man says that he loves her, and she says to him one day, why do you love me? And he's honest and he's stupid. <laughs> and he says, because you're a wonderful cook and you meet my sexual needs. How many of you know that he's this far away <laughs> from being a dead man, right? Right? It's not what she wants to hear, right? She's not happy. In other words, because he's saying this, I love you because you bring me something, not because of who you are. If your love ever gives up on somebody, you ready for this? It's because that person failed to bring you something that you wanted. We only give up on someone if what you really wanted was not what they bought you. Sorry, let me say that again. Only give up on someone if what they really wanted was not them, but what they bought you. But if you love them, you would never give up on them. Agape love doesn't love the love that they bring you, but it loves them themselves. Agape love is not transactional. You love me and I will love you. So the biblical definition, agape love, the kind of love that Paul's talking about is, is I'm not wanting the joy and happiness the loved one brings, but I'm wanting their joy and happiness. They themselves are your joy and happiness. And to love someone is to love them not for what they bring you, but for just who they are. Your value and delight is in them for who they are. Are we doing okay? Who's feeling a little judged by this kind of love? Let me give you another story about the farmer and the nobleman. And this will let light in. There's a poor farmer and he loved the king of the land. And one day he had amazing success. He was a carrot farmer. 
grew carrots. And one day had amazing success and, and grew this most amazing carrot he'd ever seen, the biggest carrot he'd ever seen. And so he gets this carrot and he takes it to the king. And he says to the king, Oh king, this is the greatest thing I have ever, ever produced. And as a token of my esteem and love for you, I want to give you this carrot. And the king is very impressed, very pleased. And the subject turns and walks away. The farmer leaves and as he does, the king goes, wait, 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 wait. He says, what joy and delight you have brought me my heart today. He said, I am going to double your land. And the farmer went away rejoicing. Yay for the farmer. There was a nobleman. He was very wealthy and he had horses. And he hears about this farmer who gave the king a carrot and got twice his land. And he thought, ah, if he got twice that much, twice of his land for a carrot, imagine how much I could get for a horse. So he takes his horse, it's his best horse, to the king and he says, my king, this is the best horse I have ever, ever bred. He said, would you please take it as a token of my esteem and my love? And the king discerned his heart. And the king said, you disgust me. And the nobleman said, what? It's a lot better than a carrot. And the king said, farmer... You gave, the farmer gave me the carrot because he loved me. But you gave me the horse for what you really wanted. Now let's all go home. Let's think about that in the context of God for a moment. Why do you give? Why do you pray? Why do you go to church? Especially listening to beat up sermons like this. Do you do it to get a comfortable life? Do you do it to get your prayers answered? What happens when your prayers are not answered? What's the point of being a Christian? It's possible to do all those things. Listen to me very carefully now. It's possible to do all those things and not have a relationship with God at all or to not love him. He's simply a means to what you really want. Think about humans. We can just love for what we're getting and not necessarily love the person, not love them for themselves. Do you know what? Yet that kind of love is something. And you go, well, that, 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 that's hard. Well, listen, you judge other people by that very measurement yourself because it's something we all crave for and want. We want to be loved unconditionally. If you said that you were just loved, if I said you are loved just because of what you bring, if you are loved in this place just because you help out, you bring something, that's not love. 
What about Job? Great example of it. God's having a little brag about Job. God's looking across the earth and he sees Job and he says, Ha, look at my servant Job. He's awesome. I don't know if he said it quite like that. but and The Holy Spirit said, only God is awesome. No, no, it's all right. <laughs> but he says, look at Job. He's, he's, he's a wonderful servant. He's, look at him. He's faithful. And, and the Bible, t- you read Job. Satan comes to God and he says, does Job serve you for nothing? Does Job serve you for you? And so there's a little test that happens and Job loses everything. Who knows the story? Job loses the lot to the point where his wife says to Job, Job, what's the point of serving God? He says, she said, Sir, uh, curse God and die. And Job's heart nearly gives out. He comes so close. His heart nearly gives out. Because that's what a human heart does, right? Job makes that wonderful statement. He says, though he slay me, yet will I have my hope in him. Amazing story. Amazing story. So we treat God the way we wouldn't want to be treated. We treat others the way we wouldn't want to be treated because we all want and crave unconditional love. And while we're on that, can I just let me push this just a little bit further? The reason why there's a reason why we value some people and we don't value others. There's a reason why we're attracted to some people and we're not attracted to others. And it's because our heart immediately discerns what we can get out of them. Our heart discerns that if I can, you know, if I can have them, I can get this stature, I can get that attractiveness in my life. There's a lot in this for me, and our heart latches on to that. And it's the same reason why there are other people that we don't really value much at all because we can't see their value because they can't give us anything. And it's because, and, and we're not patient with them, we're not kind with them. And it's because we don't love people for themselves. Yet it's what we all crave and demand from others. Can I just say this morning again? This love judges us. Who's feeling a little judged this morning? Okay, you've got it all together, have we? I'm feeling judged by that. Like I said, when I prepare this, it's like, this, this is confronting. Because I said my love has failed many times. So we've got to see love. We've got to let that love judge us. And then we've got to take it to the next step. We've got to, okay, how do I translate that love? We realize that, we're, we realize that we fall short of that kind of love. Does anyone else here feel that they might not quite measure up to that kind of love? You don't have to put your hand up. Or, but. So how do I become a person that can start to love other people like that. Well, here's how. I want to ask you this question. What makes you happy? What do you rejoice over? Because the answer is found in verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
rejoices with the truth. Let me explain this. Notice it firstly says it doesn't rejoice over evil. What that actually means, if you drill down a little bit, it actually means this. It means that we don't rejoice over the downfall of others. And a more literal sense would be this, that we don't rejoice when people get what they deserve. That's not, why you, that's not what causes you to be happy or to rejoice, when other people get what they deserve. We're most happy when people are not getting unconditional love, but they are getting what they deserve. Who can see where this is going? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been happy in my life when I've seen people get what they deserve. Don't look at me like that. I've been happy. I've rejoiced when people who have wronged me have received what they deserve. It's like, yes, I'm so sorry for you. So what I want to say to you today is you've got to be careful what you rejoice over. So we don't rejoice over when people get what they deserve because that is the exact opposite to grace, right? Instead, we rejoice with the truth. So what does it mean to rejoice with the truth? And it literally means to sing along. Sing along with the truth. It means the truth is singing a song. And we like the song and we join in and we harmonize and we sing with the truth. We make it our song. It's what we rejoice over. So what is the truth? The truth is a person. Paul is personifying love and that person that loved is Jesus. And so the truth is Jesus. And the truth of Jesus is that Jesus offers us grace. So we rejoice over the truth of God's grace to us. Colossians 1 and verse 6. This will help. It says in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And truly understood God's grace. So here's the point. The grace of God, the truth, sorry, is Jesus, which represents God's grace to us. And it's what we all desperately crave for. We, 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 don't want, we don't want to get what we deserve. We want the grace of God. That's what we want. So that's what we rejoice over. But not just for ourselves. We rejoice just alone about the grace of God. Some people get so uptight and even angry when you talk about the grace of God. Why? Because at times the grace of God is confronting. The grace of God is not necessarily fair. It's not even necessarily just. Because all the justice was already paid out on Jesus on the cross. God, that's not fair. Well, you don't get what you deserve, so you learn to rejoice in the grace of God 
Not only in your life, but in the lives of others. Are you with me this morning? Make that your song. Some of you have heard about the grace of God all your life. Listen, but you're not singing along with it. You haven't made it your song. You like to rejoice over people getting what they deserve. That's what makes me sing. No, you've got to be careful what you sing. You've got to start to sing about the grace of God and let that start to get inside here and it becomes transformational in your life and it begins to flow out into the life of others. And you begin to, the very thing as you sing about the grace of God in your life, you can then begin to understand. And when you're faced with injustice, when you're faced with people who have harmed you and wronged you, you can start to look at it and you say, well, God, you've given me your grace. I offer that same grace to others. You start to make that your song. How many of you need to learn a new tune? Someone said, how do you get to Sydney Opera House? Practice, practice, practice. Never mind, you'll get that. Some of you don't get that. That's all right. None of you got it. <laughs> so worry when none of you get it. That's all right. But you've got to practice a new song. You've got to learn to make grace and singing the, the truth of the grace of God your song. Do you know God even sings over you? Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God, oh, what? Oh, is with you the mighty warrior who saves. He, <laughs> I thought I'd been given the wrong verse. In the first service, I got him, never mind. He will take, listen, great delight in you, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will what? Rejoice over you with singing. Now, listen, I have caused God an awful amount of pain. Don't look at me so holy, so have you. Have you caused God pain? I love what Mark said. The forgiveness of my sin goes back 2,000 years ago to the cross. But my, sin, my life has caused God a lot of pain. But God chooses to rejoice over me with singing, he rejoices over his grace of his son given for me and he makes that his song over me. And we need to make that our song over others. And when you start to do that, that becomes transformational. It starts to change you because you go from being a, they got what they deserve to, I'm singing a new song, the grace of God. And you can start to then having the possibility, you can then start to have the possibility of being an unconditional loving person. But you won't always make it, just saying. But at least we know what we're shooting for. I too reach for what I preach. I could give you some songs to sing if you like. Isaiah 49, verse 15. Listen to that one. Here's a good song to sing along with. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Listen. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. What is God saying there? His love for you is even greater than a mother's love. That's a song worth singing. 
Oh, you mate, he's got a face only a mother could love. <laughs> he's done things and yet his mothers and mothers have amazing love, right? But I tell you what, even a mother's love can be. But God's love is even greater than a mother's love. That's a song worth singing. What about verse 16 or 17 or 18 or whatever it is? See, I have engraved on you, engraved, engraved you on the palms of my hands. How many of you have seen one or two tattoos around today? Just one or two. Are you all blind? Right? And tattoos can turn up in all kinds of places, but it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. But generally, you don't see people with tattoos. They put tattoos on themselves for a whole lot of reasons, but often it's to remind themselves of something. Very rarely do you see someone put a tattoo on the palm of their hand. Because no matter how much they like it, they don't want to look at it that much. But God has put a tattoo of you on his hands. And every day, every moment, his hands there, every time his hands are, he, metaphorically, he is reminded of you because he loves you so much. That is a song worth singing. I think we need to learn a new song. When you start to sing over his grace. You see, only, only a Christian. See, we, we reach a place when we do that. When we make that our song, you will find yourself, listen to me carefully, you will find yourself in a spot where you want nothing more than just God himself. I don't want God just because of what he can give me. Would you want to be in a relationship like that? Thank God for what he gives us, yes? But if my kids always come to me and go, Dad, I love you just because you, you know, supply me with this and your fridge is always... Well, that's more Nicky's. Anyway, never mind. You get the picture. And that's why only people who understand that about God actually love God's attributes. If you talk about his love, well... It's, it, it is an attribute, but there's some attributes that you get something out of, right? And his love's one, and his grace is another. And, but what about his holiness? Now, I'm sure there's some things we get out of his holiness, and I could show you some. But ultimately, like, his holiness is just scary. But we love him for his holiness just because it's him. He's holy. Oh, God. You hear me today? So today, my message is this. Let's not love God like the nobleman, but let's love God like the farmer. And let's not love each other like the nobleman. Just because of what love bring, what they can bring you, but love them like the farmer, just because of who they are. Can I have the worship team come back up, please? As I said, this is a very confronting, challenging message. And as you think it through in your own relationships and your relationships that are the closest to you, I've realized how and why so often my love has failed. And I think to understand this morning... And that's, that's why when, when a couple make a commitment of marriage, they're not saying, I promise to 
love you from this day forward. I'm not promising to, I just promise to eros you from this day forward. God help them both. <laughs> I love you filio from this day forward. God help them both. God promise to look up at you. It's not conditional upon what you bring me. I love you for you. Wow. We've all got some work to do, right? Be challenged this morning. Come on, stand. Jesus, we thank you that you showed us unconditional love. Do you know his love was unconditional because there was nothing we could bring him. He needed nothing from us. And he offers us his love. Wow. And it's for every person on planet Earth. No matter how far you think you are from God, no matter how far you feel you've fallen even. God so loved the world. If your feet are upright walking on this earth, that's you. Have you received his love this morning? The Bible says in Revelations that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. Anyone that opens the door invites him in. He comes in and has fellowship with him. This morning, God's knocking at some heart doors. You just need to open it and say, Jesus, I invite you in. Come into my life. I want to know you. I want to know you. And yeah, he'll do things for you. He'll bring you things. But ultimately, he wants your love. And that'll come. But this morning, it starts with Jesus coming into my life. Just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I want to know you as my Savior and as my Lord and as my friend. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time this morning, please tell me or someone who bought you or the next step stand. We'd love to... We're not going to put you on a push bike sitting here knocking on doors or anything. We just, we just simply want to help you take a next step. Wonderful. Welcome to the family. And for others of us here this morning, I pray this morning this message lands where it needs to land, that we as a church can become, there's a whole lot of implications to this we could work out. We don't have time. But I trust this morning you've got the heart of it and that you'd be people who love not just because of what people can bring you, but because of who you are. And this morning I know there are people that have been on the other end of the of broken human love where you, you were told you, you could no longer bring. Or love, I'm sorry, but that's not the love of God. That's not God's love. And this morning, please don't, this message is never meant to bring condemnation because Human love fails all the time. But this morning, God's love never fails. It's a higher love. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> it's a higher love. And I pray this morning that you would know that, you would rest in that. But today we know what love is in Jesus' name. Father, let this message settle upon us. Help us to work it out in a way that brings you honour. Father, I pray today that we would be enveloped by your love, that we would meet the man of love, Jesus. We would know your unconditional love. We receive it today afresh.
Father, from that, help us to give an unconditional love, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask. And everybody said, Amen. We're going to finish the meeting with...